I have called up in all my years of sorcery Hello and welcome to The Double Shadow, a podcast exploring the weird fiction of 20th century writer Clark Ashton Smith. I'm Tim. I'm Phil. And I'm Ruth. And this week, we'll be covering The Empire of the Necromancers. <laughs> this was one of my first Clark Ashton Smith stories. Oh, really? I'm, I'm so glad it was because it's just, I mean, it's just, it's perfect. It's not actually perfect, but it's basically perfect. This is like the Mary Poppins of Claire Ashton Smith story. <laughs> I don't understand what that means, I but I completely agree that. with it. <laughs> oh, like practically perfect in every way. Exactly. I got it. Uh, Nailed yeah. it. We got did it. it. Great. We, we solved it. <laughs> it is. Uh, it really is a great little weird story with that Clark Ashton Smith. Zing. Zest. Uh... Just a little zest on top. A little corpse zest. Do we have uh, other matters to talk about before we start talking about the story? Do we have business? Phil, you know, I think you might want to talk about something, because eventually people oh, will hear this. It'll be like yeah. a month or two from now. But you're doing a thing. Are you doing a thing? Tell us about the thing you're doing. Tell us about the thing. <laughs> the thing with the stuff. Uh, I wish that I... I wish I had a joke. I wish I had something else I was doing that I could be like, oh, you mean how I'm making beef stew tomorrow night? Um, I'm not actually doing that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to um, endeavor to make a Laird Baron adaptation based on a short story called 30 from Occultation. I don't know what else to say about it at this point. There's a script. Tim read the script. I did. <clears throat> Laird Baron has not read the script yet. I'm, uh, at some point he'll read it. Can um, I read the script? I wanted to. Yeah, sure. I wanted I'm to a get, total Laird uh, Baron fangirl. I wanted to get closer to being at a place where um, the producers were happy with it before I before I spread it too uh, too much out mm-hmm. there, and before I um, subjected it to the discerning eye of the man who wrote the short story. Yeah. Uh, but I'm excited about it. It's a really weird uh, story. It's going to be a really weird movie, and I'm endeavoring to do as little damage to it as possible in the translation. <laughs> Uh, that's my, one of my, like, I made a little list of rules, like, my rule, Phil's rules for the 30 adaptation. It's like the Hippocratic Oath, right? Like, do no harm. <laughs> do um, no harm. That's, <laughs> so that's, uh, so that's happening. We're hoping to shoot later this year, probably sometime in the spring, because it's all going to be exteriors and in the woods and, you know, Laird Baron locations. So, um... Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'm really excited about it. And stay tuned to this podcast. Maybe I'll update things. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, well, I've read the short story, and I I think it's really fantastic. I think it could be a very good, uh, something between cosmic horror and the horror of people alone in tight spaces mm-hmm. and people alone in open spaces. Is that both of those things, which is pretty cool? Um, there's one detail in the short story that I had to do the harm of removing, um, and I won't say what it is. I'll let people read it and see if they can suss it out for themselves. Ah, interesting. I'll have to do my third read-through of that story, because I've already read it twice. <laughs> I think it. I think it'll be pretty obvious, but um, yeah, read it again. Uh, okay. So anyway, uh, was that the, is that the only business that we have? I think so. 
I just I'm noticed tired. that this is episode 44. Yeah. We've done 43 of these things. Uh, well, and we've, we put out 41 of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we have yeah. two in the bank right now. I'll get to them. I know. <laughs> I have utter faith in you. What we need to do, we just record these and then to make the magic happen. <laughs> yep. So, Empire of the Necromancers was originally published in the September 1932 issue of Weird Tales, uh, alongside part five of Frankenstein, which they were anthologizing at the time, um, and a bunch of names that I don't remember us encountering in Weird Tales before, like Gigi, Gigi Pendervest, Arlton Edie, Kirk Mashburn, and somebody named Captain George H. Daugherty Jr. A captain, That's nonetheless. fascinating. So Empire of the Necromancers. Wait, guys, what does it mean that we're on Empire of the Necromancers now? What does this mean for our lives? Uh, it means that we're in Zafik. The dying earth, the last continent. Which Maybe. I guess we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more after the first reading. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. To get some of that spicy flavor. The legend of Matt Moore in Sodosoma shall arise only in the latter cycles of Earth, when the glad legends of the Prime have been forgotten. Before the time of its telling, many epochs shall have passed away, and the seas shall have fallen in their beds, and new continents shall have come to birth. Perhaps in that day serve to beguile for a little the black weariness of a dying race grown hopeless of all but oblivion. I tell the tale as men shall tell it in Zothique, the last continent, beneath the dim sun and sad heavens, where the stars come out in terrible brightness before eventide. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even know where to start, because it's like I can say that's awesome, but I've said things are awesome in the past. Yeah, right. And they weren't, because this is actually awesome. <laughs> Everything that I've said before that was awesome, is I need some other word for. Just okay. Oh, that's two words. It was just okay. Everything <laughs> was just okay. Until that, until that paragraph showed me what awesomeness is. Grown hopeless of all but oblivion. That's yeah. amazing. I really... Never mind. I don't have a thing. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say a thing, but then... No things. Okay. Nope. No things. No things came out. Whatever the thing I was going to say, didn't, it didn't happen. Okay. So, yeah. So, this is Zafik. It's the, the, the dying earth. And um, it's the last continent on the dying earth. What happens to all the other continents? Who knows? But they're gone. Who knows? And there's just yeah. one continent, like a reverse Pangea. Well, I almost wonder if they did all come together. I'm trying to remember how oh, yeah, dying earths work. Or if the seas just dried up. But that would lead to some really deep areas. I don't think the seas dried up because there's a lot of talk about islands and the second yeah. story. Like that guy yeah, right. tries to sail to another peninsula. So there's definitely still water. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like quite a bit of it. Um, who knows? Yeah, I just, I just love it. <laughs> and and do we think I, I feel like we've talked about this before, but do we think this is the first concept of the dying earth? So uh, I think that it is, although I did a little bit of, of research just to try to um, bolster that, and it mm. it seems like a, occasionally prior to this, there the idea of it had been floated. Like I guess in um, the Time Machine, which I've never read, mm-hmm. they go oh, right. it goes yeah. way 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 in the future, and there's sort of this idea that that Earth is dying. Um, 
but... But Jack Vance's Dying Earth, which is probably the the best-known Dying Earth, <laughs> yeah, hadn't yet happened at this point. Because Jack Vance and, and, would have been, like, 15, 16. And is directly directly influenced by this, I think Vance oh, said. Yeah. And the idea, like, even the idea of, the, of a dim sun, like a dying sun, is very, like, you know, it... it Reoccurs over and over again in Dying Earth stuff. Most notably, probably in the Gene Wolf stories. Yeah, um, right. it's just a great setting. It's it's so interesting and so dense <laughs> and spicy. But what kind of spice do you think it tastes like? Oh, like a it's it's an umami. <laughs> Is there such a thing as a tomb spice? Because that's it tastes like grave yeah. dust. Yeah, grave yeah. dust on a cheese pizza. I, I admit that I kind of. Um, Cheated a little bit on the dying earth thing, but oh no, I I, didn't, I, I went to Wikipedia. Gasp. Um. So the the answer is that uh, Zothique is probably the third dying earth thing. Ooh. The other one being William. So first one being H.G. Uh, Wells in the Time Machine. Right. Mm-hmm. William Hope Hodgson's uh, oh, House really? on the Borderland oh. as a as a dying earth, which is really interesting, or the Nightland, which takes place when the oh. sun has gone oh. dark. Oh. That actually makes more sense to me. Um, and then going on from that, uh, Zothique. And before mm-hmm. that, we have things like um, the the Last Man, and they they say a Byron poem, which I guess um, the Last Man was by Shelley, right? Uh, this is this is a poem version, yeah. a poetry that's um, by a French dude. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. Mary Shelley's The Last yeah, Man right. on Earth as well. Um, so I'm not sure about that. But and then Byron has one where. A, also a romantic era poem of uh, the earth after a vul- I think it's a volcanic eruption goes off. So anyway, yeah. we're, this is very early in the dying earth genre in terms of number of works put out. Yeah, right. And Smith totally ran with it. So we've got our two, I guess, main characters. They're not really protagonists. But two more. Or, how are we going to say it, guys? Their names? Okay. Matmor. <clears throat> yeah. Sedosma, that's easy. Yeah. M- Matmor and Sedosma. How about Matt and, I guess Sadi would be kind of a <laughs> British. I think Sedosma that's, works. It flows. So Matt and Sedosma. Yeah, so they're two necromancers. They're traveling about Zafik. They, they practice their art in uh, a land called Tinereth, a city. Is it a city? Do we know? It's a city, yeah. I yeah. think it's a city. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. But they're run out of town because to die is a holy thing in Tinereth. I guess to escape Zafik is a holy thing in Tinereth. So they run them out of town. And by the way, for all of these Zafik stories, I'm looking for who could possibly be Nefer. Mm, I like <laughs> it's it. not. It's not either of these oh. two because I, no. I think uh, not Nefer. Wait, no, not Nefer. Um, no. Azedra. Azedra. Yeah. Azedra. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I would say not these two partially because they've yeah. got the buddy thing going on. Right. Mm-hmm. I love to think about what their scheme in Tinereth was because they don't seem <laughs> no. dumb. Like they no. must know. They must know that it's a holy thing in Tinereth. So what do you think that they were playing at? What was their? What was their? What was their scheme? I don't know, but first of all, I picture Simon Pegg and Jermaine Clement playing <laughs> Mamat Moore and Sadosma. That's 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 funny. That's really close. Did you see the um the movie that he was in about the famous grave robbers in Scotland? Simon no, Pegg? no. Yeah, by made it, I think John Landis directed it. it came a couple of years oh, ago. I wow. can't remember what it was called. 
Yeah. Was it was it good? Because uh, I would I would watch yeah, Seven Pegs right. and Graves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it'll it'll pass the time. It's gruesome. <laughs> well, it, it's grave robbing. I would hope so. I do wonder. Um, yeah. So what were they doing in Tenerife? What, Phil, you posed the question. You must have. A- I like to think this. I like to think that you know, even though the city statutes. Uh, state that to die is a holy thing. That, <laughs> right. You know, occasionally, like there's still emotion in Zothik, so there are probably people who um, would go to underground necromancers uh, to yeah, have their loved right. ones brought back because they uh, yeah. wanted to go against the the um, holy mandates. That's what I think. I think they were playing on on the emotions of uh, you know widows and widowers um, and etc. So, witch of Endor kind of thing, not a not what they're about to go do in the desert. <laughs> No, I feel like yeah, if they pulled that off, that would have been a little... I think they were just making a little bit of money. <laughs> That's what yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I agree. And they got kicked out on their rumps. Oh, it's oh, just well, where are they from? Actually, we should talk about this, too. There's a whole... So oh, yeah, later right. in Zothique, there's a whole story about this place. This It's an island, right, called Not? Not? Nate? Yes. N-A-A-T? That's all necromancers. The Isle a of Necromancers. Dark isle. <laughs> a dark isle. Yeah. I guess if if your island is full of necromancers, there's not much material to work <laughs> Yeah, right? Yeah, sometimes you just got to strike out on your own. They had you know? to branch out. They had to scheme. <laughs> That's what schemers do. They scheme. <laughs> yeah. So they're cast out. But do and they care? No, because they're going to Sincor, a desert to the south. They're going to Egypt. This is basically like if Egypt were completely uninhabited now, which it's obviously not. But, you know, <laughs> in the dying earth thing, if, if Egypt became too hot to live in, we'll say global warming or something like that. They're like, no, we're going to Egypt. Egypt has lots of good material. Why do you say Egypt? Because mummies? Yeah, because mummies and... Aren't there, like... I don't think they mention, like, ziggurats or pyramids. Uh, I thought there was, but... But they me... definitely mention mummies. Oh, there's so many mummies. <laughs> so many mummies. <laughs> there are mummies ever, And I think that's the thing, that too, about Egypt, is that it wasn't just royal mummies. No, right. the, this area is full of mummies. Everybody got mummified, which... If you're uh, thinking about, like, pharaohs who would preserve a bunch of stuff to take with them into the afterlife, it kind of makes sense. Right. So, they head to, how are we saying it? Kinkor? Sinkor? I, I was going to say Sinkor, which Sinkor? is easier to. By a road, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a reading for this. Let's go to the reading. <laughs> On the great highway by which travelers had gone formerly between Sinkor and Tinarath, they met no living thing. But soon they came to the skeletons of a horse and its rider, lying full in the road and wearing still the sumptuous harness and raiment they had worn in the flesh. And Natmor and Sodosama paused before these piteous bones on which no shred of corruption remained. And they smiled evilly at each other. The steed shall be yours, said Matmore, since you are a little the elder of us two, and thus entitled to the precedence. And the rider shall serve us both, and be the first to acknowledge fealty to us in Sinkar. Then, in the ashy sand by the wayside, they drew a threefold circle, and standing together at its center, they performed the abominable rites that compel the dead to arise from tranquil nothingness and obey henceforward in all things the dark will of the necromancer. Afterward, they sprinkled a pinch of magic powder on the nostril holes of man and horse, and the white bones, 
creaking mournfully rose up from where they had lain and stood in readiness to serve their masters. Metal riff here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do you actually... Well, I suppose it has a saddle. Do you want a bone horse? Like, skeleton horses are cool. I had one in Skyrim. <laughs> but... I, I, horses are jolty enough. This is... I, I feel like, you know, on Na'at, you know, the skill of riding a bone horse is probably something that's taught. There's yeah, probably an probably. art. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, and the art might just be that your butt gets calloused, but you know, <laughs> either, either way, I feel like they've probably ridden a bone horse before. A bunch of <laughs> ridden a bone horse they were under the in the darkness under the sky. Is this is this the most detailed description of the actual working of necromancy that we've encountered in? Although I mean, I guess when I guess when Nathair was doing his necromancy, there was, but that was more like building of the flesh. Yeah, right. This is like the first time we've seen like an actual, you know. A description of the process. Uh, yeah. Outside of, of um, well, uh, in Double Shadow, there were yeah, some good... Yeah, I was going to say Double Shadow. Oh, but, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Fairly yeah. detailed, right? But that wasn't necromancy. So yeah, if we're no, going to talk no, about no. the like, actual yeah. raising of the dead, I would say this is the most detailed. Definitely. But Double Shadow for most detailed, right? We got a threefold circle. We got mm-hmm. powder sprinkled on nostril holes. We got some abominable rites. Yeah. So these dudes, they come to this, this city in the desert. That and what is it? Everybody here died because of a plague. Wait, 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 wait! Back it up, back it up, back it up, back the train up. It's true. They do. They they build themselves an army while they go. Or yeah, as they're something. going, it's not. It's not just a horse and a and a dude. It's like every every body they find. Every body, not everybody, they find. They raise. So they have this like crazy train, uh, of Walking Dead. Yeah, you know, like Ozzy Osbourne. You know. They're going off the whales. Yes. Um. <laughs> so the, this whole city is dead because of a plague, and they're just walking through the main street, just raising raising up dead bodies. But, no, no, they're not even there yet. This no, is, these this are the people that like died in the oh, desert on the training. These people that died in the desert on the, on the way, which is crazy. So it's like a it's like a it's desert like a caravan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so That's the, even the, cooler. I, <laughs> At the first, I just want to put out this little phrase that the one who's riding the horse is described as making an evil mockery of death on his pale horse, <laughs> yeah. which I just want to note how much, and I'm going to keep saying it, this story is in love with death, that it wouldn't just be a mockery of death, it, it would be that it would be an evil thing to mock death on its pale <laughs> horse. It's like, this story, like, it can't get enough of, of, of the grave. And if you mess with the grave, it is going to mess with you right back. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So they're not in the city yet. They're they're like they're just making their way, which is great because you just imagine this old road that nobody's been on for maybe centuries, and there are just like people who drop dead on the side of the road, and they're like, oh, there's another one. Let's bring that one back. So then they see the city and the the unbroken splendor of the capital city of Sinkor, which is. Yethlirium, right. Lethirium, and it's at that point that they that the story reveals to us uh, the full magnitude of their plan, which right. is to go into the city, bring everyone back to life, and there's no one alive there to oppose them, so they're just going to build an empire yeah. of the dead. Which is amazing. <laughs> like it's amazing. It it's the best plot. You you don't totally you don't take over a thing from people that are in it. You just come in and. They like raise everybody and then bind them to your will. 
It's so, but great. what I love about this that is so purely Clark Ash and Smithonian, I think, is that they get into town and they don't start their plan right away. No. They go to the palace and they mm-hmm. throw themselves a party and yeah. they get, I mean, in my notes, I said they get wasted and pass out. I'm not sure if that's in the story or not, but the, in my mind, it's like, <laughs> hey, we're here before we get to all that necromancy. Let's just get wasted. Let's, <laughs> you know, have we a slept in opulent palace beds. So I think. Yeah. They rose betimes yeah. in the dark crimson dawn, but who knows what time of day that is. And then they, they get they just get busy. And I mean that on multiple levels, because first they go busily to and fro. Little dead raising over here, a little dead raising yeah, over there. Right? Uh-huh. Like So first they start with all the unburied people, and then they start going to all the big tombs, and they yeah. have their skeletons break into the tombs for them. Which, I mean, just saving yourself the work. I know, you gotta outsource. And they raised workers to go mm-hmm. work the fields and to start revitalizing the streets and rebuilding the city. Which, again, they're the only living people here. So yeah. the workers, you know, working the fields, the workers building the city, this is all for them. Like, the skeletons may need somewhere to go sit for a while. The skeletons don't need food. They probably don't need sleep. Yeah. There was a, uh, I was describing the story to somebody who hadn't read it, and I was talking about this part where they bring everybody back to life and just instantly make them go back to work. And he was talking about what a cynical, uh, like, what a cynical and horrible thing that is. It's like this great miracle you've been brought back from the dead, but you're instantly forced into slavery. (laughs) And pointed out that moment in, uh, I don't remember the line, but there's a part in Army of Darkness where they raise a skeleton. And he's like, ah, I'm back to life, whatever. And the guy's like, here's a shovel, get digging. (laughs) Yep, that's what it's like. Life, it's not so great. Maybe we should all just be dead. That's how I felt after reading the story. So, yeah, the rebuilding the city. I have a a question here to ask you guys. Mm. Do they bone the dead? Oh, later, for sure. (laughs) No, right here they do. Oh, wait, right here, you're right. I think the text supports it. Because uh, dead laborers made their palace gardens to bloom with long-perished flowers. Liches and skeletons toiled for them in the mines, or reared superb, fantastic towers to the dying sun. Chamberlains and princes of old time... Oh, yeah. So they also raise up the emperors and the princes of Nimboth, who were the, the once rulers of uh, Yithelriam. Uh, so chamberlains and, chamberlains and princes of old time were their cupbearers, and stringed instruments were plucked for their delight by the slim hands of empresses with golden hair that had come forth untarnished from the night of the tomb. <laughs> <laughs> Those that were fairest, whom the plague and the worm had not ravaged overmuch, they took for their lemons and made to serve their necrophilic lust. I yeah, mean, if you use the phrase necrophilic lust, yeah. they're they're clearly boning. They bone the, the dead. <laughs> <laughs> do, do we bone the dead when we start that band that we're always talking about? That's definitely something that we yell at the crowd, and the crowd is like, "Yeah, we bone the dead." <laughs> do we bone the dead? <laughs> this song is called Necrophilic Lust. Dun, 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 dun. Um. <laughs> yeah, so this was, again, this was one of my first Clark Ashton Smith stories. Yeah, and right. I got to this point and was like, oh, oh, I see. When you're coming from having read your weird fiction as mostly Lovecraft, and you've yeah. got some, like, some Conan, but that's, it's very different because that's, you know, the, the lusty lads of Cinnabar or, right. or Hyboria or whatever. And Okay, so you've got your no, no sex, and you have your 
mm, strong, tribal, whatever. And then you have the guys who bone the mummies, <laughs> the mummies that aren't in too bad shape. And you're just like, oh, this would be called Cash and Smith. We bone the dead. So the, the story, then, it's broken into two parts. Then we hit yeah. part two. And part two is a sort of interesting in that it, it like... It's a really interesting story, just th- I think, to think about in terms of the way that, that like, short story writing styles have changed. Because there isn't, like, there's no, none of these people are really characters. So, like, you could say yeah, the first right. half is from the perspective of the necromancers. And if you wanted to say that, then I guess you could say part two is kind of from the perspective of the dead. But it's still sort of a pretty, it's a pretty, like, you know, um, third person view of it. But we get this interesting description of, of what life is like for the dead, which is that, like... They're kind of alive, but but not really alive. It it makes me appreciate why necromancy is such considered such a crime in mm-hmm. Tinnereth and maybe just in fiction in general, because these right. you're bringing some semblance of life back to these people, so they have a bit of sentience. They're not just puppets. They're they're wearied by it, and yeah. that. That to me was one of the saddest parts of the story. Yeah. It's not that they're, it's not they're not automatons. Yeah, because they got out. They were out. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were out of well, Zathik. There's, there's another another phrase that speaks to how much the story loves death is that uh, they had a ceaseless longing not to return to life, mind you, but no. to return to that uninterrupted slumber of death. <laughs> it's not that, like they're like, man, I wish we were really alive. Yeah, they're like, no. man, I wish I was dead again. <laughs> yeah, well. Here's a shovel. Get to it. <laughs> uh, so that, that leads us into our next reading. Youngest and last of the nimble emperors was Ilero, who had died in the first month of the plague and had lain in his high-built mausoleum for 200 years before the coming of the necromancers. Raised up with his people and his fathers to attend the tyrants, Ilero had resumed the emptiness of existence without question and had felt no surprise. He had accepted his own resurrection and that of his ancestors as one accepts the indignities and marvels of a dream. He knew that he had come back to a faded sun, to a hollow and spectral world, to an order of things in which his place was merely that of an obedient shadow. But at first, he was troubled only like the others by a dim weariness and pale hunger for the lost oblivion. Drugged by the magic of his overlords, weak from the age-long nullity of death, he beheld like a somnambulist the enormities to which his fathers were subjected. Yet somehow, after many days, a feeble spark awoke in the sodden twilight of his mind. He's he's not like the others, maybe because he's fresh. He died in the first month of the plague. Yeah, that seems to be the implication, right? And he's he's he was probably very well preserved because the plague hadn't spread all the way, mm-hmm. so they had time to do all the right burial rites. And yeah, he's probably the youngest of the really sentient, well preserved ones. And this gives us a time frame too. So it's been the whole place has probably been dead about two hundred years. So plenty of time for everybody to dry up. And maybe they don't even remember. Like Maybe it wasn't a dying earth 200 years ago. I don't know when Zethik started, and I don't know exactly when the story falls in the timeline. Yeah, but right, true. maybe it was getting close to being a dying earth, but it hadn't gotten there yet. 
So as the notes say, he starts to hate being alive and working for these two dicks. <laughs> and they are dicks. Oh, yeah. This is, this is yes. the other great thing about this story is that you might recall, probably not five minutes ago, we discussed that these guys had a great plan to launch an army of the dead and have this empire. And then here it says that they plan to lead an army against Tinnereth. But they're so, pardon my French, f***ing lazy and horrible <laughs> that they're like... <laughs> They've started to forget their spells. Yeah. They just loll around on couches and drink. And, yep. <laughs> like, they grow, it says they grow fat and slothful as worms. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I was going to say, that's where the line in, in our, in our opener comes yep. from, that they grew fat and slothful as worms, which, again, as one's first Clark Ashton, real Clark Ashton Smith story, I think I'd read a few of his, like, non- the rattlesnake story and a few others that aren't set in different worlds, but right. this was, you know, the first world one. And so like these necromancers who they they aren't badasses. No, <laughs> like, yeah. They know some spells and they raise the dead, but they, they don't, yeah, they don't take the army to Tinnerath. They don't do anything useful. Sure. They've got an entire city working for them, but they just use it to wall around on couches and bone slightly less crumbly. <laughs> Amazing. Like, it's so, because it's so cynical about life, and it's, like, yeah. cynical about, um, not just life, but, like, about Anyways. heroes and villains. Like, these two are villains, but they can't even, like, Clark Ashton Smith is like, yeah, whatever, you're epic villains, whatever. These guys try to be <laughs> villains, but you know what? Ultimately, most people are just lazy and, <laughs> right. and dumb, and yeah. they just sit around and get drunk and consume all the time. Yeah. Um, ruling as the Nimboth Empire of old, it's a pretty good gig. Why are you going to... Why are you going to jeopardize that by going to war with anyone? Because nobody's going to come and stumble against your stupid <laughs> empire of mummies. I like, I like to think that they still, like, talk in really grand terms, but they're, oh, it's clear to everybody that, that it's just never going to happen. Yeah, probably every night as they're drunk and passing out. They say, tomorrow we launch a dinner up. <laughs> So, so Hilario. Yeah, he's, so we have these animated corpses who are kind of gaining some cognizance. Hilario is trying to, like, he's not just just got this little spark going on, because mm -hmm. he's, he's also not the only one. He goes and he finds the um, Hesteion, the oldest of the emperors, who was an actual wizard back in the day. So somebody that he knows that he can get some assistance from, because everybody else is kind of sluggish and... Yeah. Not very talkative, which the fact that they are talkative at all is also fascinating. <laughs> right? Yeah, they do have some kind of weird unlife about them. There is, uh, in, in China Mayville's novel, The Scar, they talk mm -hmm. about a, an empire that's basically this. It's like an empire of the dead, and they're all zombies, and they speak. Because for some reason, their mouths are sewn shut, so they speak a weird, it's just like just a throat speech. It's like grunts mm -hmm. and like weird dead sounds. I, mean, I don't want to say yeah. that he took that idea from the story, but um, anyway. <laughs> so Illyrio finds Hesteon and there he finds that Hesteon, and I'm assuming since, because he was a, a mighty wizard in his day, that he's somehow able to, to claim a bit more of the, his sentience than the others. So they both remember who they once were, mm -hmm. and they, what is it they have the, there was a prophecy, right? Yes, that an evil greater than death would befall the emperors and people of Sincor, and that the first and last of the Nimboth dynasty, conferring yeah. together, would affect a mode of release and the lifting of the doom. So, 
That's them, guys. That's them. Yeah, they Larry found each other. It's the two of them. Like, hey, I'm the last of the whatevers. I should go find the first, the Nimboths. I feel like that would be a really weird moment. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be dead, but I feel like, you know, you're dead, and then suddenly, you know, your great, 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 whatever it is, grandfather is like, oh, I remember this prophecy that you and I would one day get together and face an evil greater than death. And then it's like, oh, holy balls. It's, it's <laughs> us. <laughs> We're here. That's Although Illyrio cool. didn't even know the prophecy, right? It's only it's only Hestaeon. Yeah, it seems yeah. like he might. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what is the? Oh, so so that's like Hestion has half of the what they need to solve this problem. Illyrio has the other piece of information, which is that he recalls right. finding a strange object in his youth, youth, youth in the youth. unused crypts, mm-hmm. a dusty, uncouth image of clay whose form and countenance were strange to him. I'm not really sure why he puts those two things together. Maybe I should have. Read a little bit more closely. I kind of thought it might be an an, an uh, idol of Savagua or something like that. That you know, nowadays they're not really worshiping him, or they weren't oh, this, in uh, Illyrio's This day. is why he knows the the rest of the prophecy, which I didn't put into the notes, states that it was said that the two emperors would learn the solution of their problem by breaking an ancient clay oh, image right. that guards the nethermost vault beneath oh, the right. palace. So there we go. So then Illyrion is like, oh. A funny I don't thing. Remember this clay image? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One Which, day I was hanging out in the tombs, and I was I saw this thing. Um, I still wonder if that is some sort of idol of Sathagwa or some such that you know you put a seal of Sathagwa on your crypts. That's kind of freaky. Yeah, they 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 they, they, they describe it uh, a little and, bit. It just says that it's a um, whose rude features were those of a forgotten earthly god. Yeah. Um, so who knows? I mean, it, it, yeah. Sathagwa is definitely an earthly god. Yeah. So mm-hmm. except he goes Jesus. To, that's what I thought was like, oh, what if it's like a weird old Christian relic or something? Could be uh, anything. But there's really, there's, there's, yeah, there's no indication of what it is at all. Um, it could be Abraham Lincoln, and maybe it's that, maybe it's the statue of Abraham Lincoln. Oh, my God. What if it is? <laughs> Somebody called Tim Burton. Uh, I am looking over my glasses at the microphone, you guys. <laughs> okay, so they, they band together the last emperor and the first emperor of whatever this dynasty is, and... Nimboth, Tim. Nimboth. Keep up, keep up, they, keep up, keep up. <laughs> and they bust it open. What do they find inside of it? A key! A sword! Tablets of brass. <laughs> Maybe not where you come from, but here in the Nimboth dynasty, it's not pronounced brass. It's pronounced a brass. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Isn't that what the lady, the lady skeletons use to keep their flaky bits from coming off? <laughs> Those are called brass. A brass We gotta find a brass. It's very confusing because then they go find metal, and it's just it doesn't work. It's uncomfortable. So, uh, what do they do with these things? Because it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's totally amazing. So the key. Uh, they use the key to open a door that leads down, 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 down into deeper catacombs. And it actually leads to kind of the center of the earth. It leads to basically a fiery pit, right? What yeah. the heck yep. do they want with a fiery pit? How's this going to solve their problems? Well, a, a whisper passes among the dead emperors and empresses, eventually spreads out from the palace to all of the dead. So they find <laughs> the burning bed. The burning pit of death, doom, and a thousand hells. But they also found a sword, so what do they do with the sword? So, Hestion, 
Um, and I guess this was this this part of it was illuminated on those brass tablets. First, he cuts the heads off the necromancers. No big deal. They're passed out anyway. Then he quarters no them. No big deal. <laughs> <Seriously. laughs> so hacks the heads off, slices them into four parts each, and then the, then he spreads the word to all the dead, and they they do this horrible lonely march into the fiery pit, which is awesome. Yeah. 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 So key opens the door, sword to split the necromancers from guts to gizzards. And then what are what are the tablets? The, the tablets just explain to them what to do. Or right? they have the command to to get the other dead to do it. I don't no, actually know. The tablets directed him cast a spell on the quartered necromancers to bring them oh, back right. to life. Right. Oh sorry, God. I reread it for last week. Yeah. Before we get into the last reading, I just want to point out that the description of all the people flinging themselves into the fires yeah. of the earth, they flung themselves, this is what it says, to a second death and the clean annihilation of the bottomless flames, which is great because it's like, they're, this time they're going to do death right. And if you're burned mm-hmm. up, you're not, it's a clean annihilation, there's yeah. no chance you're coming back, if two yeah. more assholes from Nat come around, <laughs> they're not doing this again. This is it. This is insurance against necromatic assholes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that then leads into the last reading. This now this makes me wonder: whoever um, wrote this prophecy down <laughs> was kind of a dick themselves, because why not just burn all the bodies as they died in the first place? Well, that's a lot of bodies to burn, and I mean, do you want to burn the bodies when you have to be like, okay, guys, we have to burn the bodies so that someday? necromancers can't come by and reanimate our corpses. Everybody's like, really? I feel like we'll be around for that. You know, we'll stop them. Divination is an inexact science. You know, he could have, this, whoever wrote this prophecy could have just gotten intimations of what was going to, what was going to happen. And you don't know, I mean, you don't know. It could have all been written in like weird, you know, book of Revelation. Could be. Nonsense. Or maybe a Zedirak wrote that prophecy and it's the long con. I think this was Hestion's long con to be the hero that saves his people. <laughs> well, that's, that's cynical. But after all had gone to their release, Hestion still remained alone in the fading sunset beside the cloven corpses of Matmor and Sadasama. There, as the tablets had directed him to do, He made trial of those spells of elder necromancy which he had known in his former wisdom, and cursed the dismembered bodies with that perpetual life in death, which Matmor and Sudosama had sought to inflict upon the people of Sinkor. And maledictions came from the pale lips, and the heads rolled horribly with glaring eyes, and the limbs and torsos writhed on the imperial couches amid clotted blood. Then, with no backward look, knowing that all was done as had been ordained and predicted from the first, the mummy of Histion left the necromancers to their doom, and went wearily through the nighted labyrinth of vaults to rejoin Lero. So in tranquil silence, with no further need of words, Illyro and Histion passed through the open door of the nether vault, and Illyro locked the door behind them with its key of untarnished bronze. And thence, by the coiling stairs, they wended their way to the verge of the sunken flames, and were one with the kinfolk and their people in the last, ultimate nothingness.
off that lure in Sodosoma. Men say that their quartered bodies crawl to and fro to this day in Yethrohom, finding no peace or respite from their doom of life and death, and seeking vainly through the black maze of nether vaults the door that was locked by Illyro. Yes! <laughs> and that, that's pretty much when I got really sold on Clark Ashton Smith, because yeah. I, I had a lot of ups and downs during this, going, oh my god, that's kind of messed up. Ooh, that's kind of cool messed up. And then this was like, yes! This is yeah. the best kind of messed up. And I loved it that they, you know, they took the door and they locked it. So these weird half-living bodies can't, you can't find that piece, guys. Sorry. Ah, uh, so perfect. Ah, oh, perfect ending. Are you crying? No. <laughs> I'm crying. I'm just, I'm just doing a happy sniff. <clears throat> it is, I mean, I, I guess uh, I was reading the, um, that Blackgate website, I was reading through their, their like, breaking on Zothique stories, and it mentions in there that this is occasionally mentioned as one of his best short stories. And I um, I kind of agree. I mean, it's yeah. really, it, it is, as Ruth so astutely put it, kind of like Mary Poppins. Really well constructed. It's, it's purely Clark Ashton Smithonian in a certain sense. And it just, it has, like, a lot to say. It really made me think. It, it has his voice. Like, everything about this yeah. is just pure, pure CAS. It's Smith at his best writing as I guess what he what he truly wanted to be, like a poet and a fabulist. Writing like yeah. a pulp weird fiction story. Which is yeah. it's just amazing. It's so the language is really dark. Like when they I think it's the first night where they're when they've raised enough people to attend to them and they I think the, the line goes, um, oh yeah, I wrote it down. Okay, ancient and imperial wines were poured for them in moonstone cups by the fleshless hands of their servitors. That's so cool. <laughs> moonstone cups? I just picture them in like a really dark hall with these white cups attended by skeletons and mummies. And like, that seems to be all that they're doing too, which... But they, they, they brought back all of these mummies to make sure that everything got taken care of so they could have all of this fresh food and these grapes. And yeah. I'm not really sure about that since we are kind of in the desert, but I guess <laughs> they have aqueducts or if it's like in the Nile, there's fertile regions. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh, such a good story. Really, Such is. a good way really to is. kick Zathik off, too. I know, I know. And them riding in on their dead horses... Yeah, and I don't think we mentioned it, but, you know, they picked up a second dead horse yeah. among those those whole groups that they were reanimating. So by the time they got there, they just, dead horses everywhere. Yeah, so Dosima got the first one. He had dibs. Yeah, but Matt Moore got a nice withered yeah. charger. What else can you say about this story? I really don't know. That's what, I, I just don't have anything else to say about it, except that it is, yeah. it is uh. like, it, as Ruth was saying, too, it's like a perfect introduction to Clark Ashton Smith, because yeah. it's like, it has a sense, clearly has a sense of humor, a sort of cynical sense of yeah, humor. Oh, it's totally. also overwhelmingly dark. And it has, mm -hmm. like, a real perspective as well, as I kept saying. Like, it just, I mean, it really is a story that just loves the idea of being dead. <laughs> it loves the idea of nothingness, which yeah. is really interesting. Like, it's really, it's, like, almost strangely Buddhist, right? It's like, and then I just missed, you know, I missed the, the peace of the grave so much. Yeah. Um, is there any other necromantic story that we've read that, that makes you really ask, okay, what's it like to be on the other side of the necromancer equation? I don't think I don't, so. Yeah, Our I don't only think other mummy was, um, 
in Double Shadow. Oh, Oigos. <laughs> I love Oigos. Oigos would not have approved of any of this. No. no and now we know what Oigos was going through. Yeah. I like to think that Malagree was a was a his brand of necromancy. Like back when they did it in Atlantean times. Yeah. It was a little it was like kinder. That's what I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you want to speak, Well, they weren't raising an so here's a question about the prophecy. Yeah. Um so you brought up well why not just burn everybody or things. Yeah. But what would it be like if like your entire civilization died so nobody has checks and balances on how they how they use you? And in some ways this is an interesting look at certain kinds of colonialism. Like I, I think one might be able to do some sort of post colonial read through this. Yeah. Um, totally. Pillaging of, of ancient Egypt's jewels and although the, in that case, the Egyptian people were there. They're just... So, for the Egyptian people, it's like, no, actually, we still live here, guys. And for other people, it's like, well, but, but that was thousands of years ago. So, yeah. And so people, you know, the British Museum running off with stuff and other people running off with stuff. And so, eventually, they got, you know, people started saying, oh, maybe, maybe some people started saying, maybe we shouldn't just go through and just pillage all these yeah, right. sacred things and desecrate all these graves and such. But for the most part, people still do that on the grounds that, you know, it's incredibly ancient and thus it's okay for us to do it but i'm just saying maybe maybe we don't know the whole story and maybe we're actually all disturbing the spirits of the dead all the all time. the time yeah. oh but also i just remembered that the the city died because of a plague so yeah they, didn't, a plague, they yeah. didn't have time to they didn't have time to burn everybody yeah they so. wouldn't have time to burn the last group anyway um well played Hesteion. what i thought was that they we were saying was that they should have like, instated way back in Hestion's time, yeah. which was way more than mm-hmm. 200 years ago, that, like, like in Tinnereth, that death was holy, they should right. have just established that their funereal rites were always cremation. Right? But even then, again, like, how do you how do you tell people that there's going to be a day where there isn't a system of checks and balances? Because, oh, yeah. you know, like in Egypt, there, were, there was an actual government in place in the country. Not at the times of the archaeologists, obviously they were completely dominated by the British, which is right. why the British were able to do all this stuff, and the French as well. So but ultimately, like, things happen, and who are you going to call? Well, Hestelion. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, with with his with his sword to take care of my to take care of the necromancer that raised me from the grave. Yeah, so there wasn't anything really about the uh, Empire of the Necromancers in Smith's letters, because I had, I had looked it up. Oh, right, yeah. The only thing was that his check was late in coming. Oh. Farnsworth. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> I think there is some stuff, I mean, in, in the letters that we should probably dig up about. Um, if I recall, this was the first Sothic story written, but he had, like, somewhere there's a fragment of, like, a previous... Before he called Zothik Zothik, he was sort of talking about about writing stuff on, like, a dying continent, um, and he called uh, it something else before it was called Zothik. We could probably dig that up. I, I should have done it for the show, but I forgot. I'll get it next time. Next time, we'll be visiting the Isle of the Torture. I almost forgot. Wow. Torture. Now I'm rolling my eyes and saying, oh, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brother. Trial of the Torturers, a surprisingly sexual story that makes you wonder a lot of things about being in bed with Kardashians. I want to know this perspective. He knows what he did. (laughs)
fucking knows what he did. That's two F-bombs in this episode, Tim. Don't you censor them. Don't you censor me. 